as far as the stories that we can tell and like the experiences we've had with each other and, and like in all the other guys, um, it's, it's not even comparable. Like I would say we were fortunate enough to have like that last, uh, you know, grassroots feel of what flat track racing was at the, at the highest level. Episode 157, Tank Slapping Podcast, doing a solo mission today. Eric is, I have no idea what Eric is doing, to be honest, but <laughs> I'm doing a solo job here, doing an interview pod. Uh, man, it's been like two weeks since we've had our Ricky Howerton podcast, and I just want to get this one out there. You guys have been asking me when the next pod's dropping, and I wouldn't say we've been slacking, but... It's coming at you today. We got Chad Coase coming on here in a little bit. My buddy Chad. This is going to be a fun one. Um, we've had him on for like little segments over the years, but never had him for a full episode where we kind of go in about his career a little bit and have have some conversations uh, about his career. And and I, I, honestly, we're going to talk about a lot. It's uh, He's probably the number one guy that I talk to the most when it comes to anything racing related. So It'll be a, a real natural, fun convo with my uh, with my boy Chad. He's a very polarizing guy. He's he gets uh, gets a lot of flack for certain things, but a lot of people also root for him. He's got a lot of fans. Um, he's been doing this a long time. I was reading his bio sheet, and fuck, man, he's been he's been at this almost as long as I have. So it's uh, it's going to be awesome having him on. I want to make sure. We shout out a couple sponsors before we bring him on. want to make sure we shout out Mission Foods for being the title sponsor of the podcast. Appreciate everything Mission Foods is doing for the podcast and the sport in general. If you can, go out, support those who support us, buy some Mission Foods products. If you can't get them at your local grocery store, find them online. It's not hard to find, and it definitely goes a long way in what they do for our sport, just helping them out as well. Bell Power Sports, check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. I wear the race star flex Chad, also a bell rider as well. The quality of safety is unmatched. If you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by bell and a big shout out to Indian motorcycle since 1901 Indian motorcycle has been the choice of riders who make their own rules. Appreciate everything. Indian motorcycles doing for our podcast. They won the super hooligan championship. Once again, this year in Moto America with Tyler O'Hara, they won the American flat track championship with Jared Meese. They're crushing it. And we're really grateful for their support of the pod without further ado i have chatty boy on chad what's up man what's going on man how are you i'm all right this is uh i was doing a i was talking to somebody yesterday and i was like yeah it's really weird when i interview my friends or like shana it's like kind of awkward i mean you just asked me how i was but i i talk to you like every day almost so um i'm good dude how are you Good man, good. It is it is a little different. I feel like uh, I mean we don't have to be too filtered, but yeah, it'll uh, it'll still be a good one. We'll just talk naturally, like it's just me and you. Probably more filtered than normal, but I mean not not too bad either way. But yeah, dude, it's it's been a long time coming. I've had you on a few pods where you've come on, and we've had some some chat insight, which is always good. But dude, there's, I don't even know where to start. There's a lot to talk about uh you know the first time i ever saw you or met you was at springfield springfield illinois amateur nationals you were riding around on a clapped out 
150F that you probably just got like a few months prior to that, to be honest. It was, uh, it was already clapped out. <laughs> You're riding around the campground. You had a really long like ponytail, sort of 90s vibes. I had one too. And you were rolling with it still. It was like 2000, 2004, I think it was. So that's the first time I ever met you. And then you went out and I remember watching you ride. It was like the 252 stroke class. And you won a couple races against some really fast guys who were a lot older than you. So that was my first Chad Coast experience right away. Just definitely a lot of speed, a lot of talent. And let's kind of go back a little bit to how you got started. You're from Northern California, Fremont, which is kind of outside San Jose, San Fran, maybe an hour, hour and a half. But how did you get started in racing? Cause I don't, I don't know if your dad raced at all, but yeah, give us a little bit of background on how you got started. Yeah, so basically my dad was sort of just like a motorcycle enthusiast. Uh, he did race a couple races, but very like casually. Um, just trail road, rode on the street. Um, yeah, it was kind of just back then was, was the thing like, you know, you would do if you had a motorcycle, you were cool. So, um, yeah, just kind of did it casually. and. Uh, I guess instead of putting, you know, like a football or baseball glove or whatever in front of me, we, uh, he bought me a PW 50, rode it around the yard a couple of times. And then, uh, I honestly don't know how, or I don't really remember exactly how it was that I entered my first race, but long story short, we ended up going to Lodi, which is where I grew up racing. And, uh, yeah, I went out and raced and did terrible and I even remember back then I was like competitive and I like cried <clears throat> after the first race. I was like, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then like the next weekend rolled around and he was like, Hey, so you want to like go do that race again? And I was like, yeah, but I don't want to get beat again. <laughs> so, uh, that's basically how I got started. And, uh, yeah, ever since then we kind of just, race Lodi back then we raced Lodi probably man like 20 or 30 times a year but um so it was like every weekend um but yeah that's the kind of the short end of it and how I how I got started and everything um my family was never like I have a couple brothers and sisters um nobody really was into motorcycles other than uh I guess you know my dad but obviously now since I've been in it um everybody's kind of taken to the whole motorcycle scene and everybody loves it so i have a super supportive family and uh yeah it's it's pretty cool it's uh i'm pretty fortunate that he ended up putting a motorcycle in front of me and uh now here we are so it's been a it's been a cool ride who were like lodi obviously legendary racetrack um who were some of the guys do you remember who beat you at your first race i mean i'm sure it was a long time ago but who were the guys coming up who you were getting beat by every weekend um back at the time i don't recall like my first race but i do remember like my first couple seasons um anthony fong which is bobby bobby fong uh the professional road racers little brother um he would absolutely smoke me so like there was a couple there was a couple guys that i had to chase down and then like maybe after like my first season i got closer and closer and then 
eventually we started battling and you know we would go back and forth i beat them they beat me but um probably my uh biggest rival i would say like on 50s and 60s uh at least in in lodi was uh anthony fong and he was like he had to this day he probably had some of the most like raw talent of anybody that i've ever came across so it was fun man we uh we we had a lot of back then we had like a lot of big crashes in like the the 60 class and uh and a lot of it was caused by like me and anthony just kind of going at it so much yeah it's it's kind of crazy honestly like some of the fastest guys we've ever raced growing up they they like never went pro i mean or or they went pro and then they kind of got out of it i mean you you mentioned him uh and we all know who bobby fong is by the way dude uh, <laughs> yeah we don't live on a different planet yeah but, but uh yeah so like joe hernandez is, is another one who i who i think of who who was like really fast like stupid fast and did I think he won a heat race at Springfield short track the one year and basically just never raced pro again, just didn't have the resources. So it's, it's kind of crazy. And there's a lot of, honestly, I think a lot of them are like most of the ones like kind of like that are from California. It seems like for whatever reason, like where they're very, very fast. And then they kind of, kind of get out of it and, and don't go, don't move on to the next level. It's kind of weird about Anthony. Cause like, obviously it worked for Bobby where, where he kept racing and, and uh, has made a really good name for himself. And most people probably don't know that his brother might've been faster. Honestly, it's crazy. Yeah, it is. It is wild. Um, But yeah, I mean, as far as like our group of, you know, when I was coming up, we had a really good group and it, I mean, it goes for that, um, you know, anywhere in the country, Uh, we did race Lodi a bunch. So like we were on a bike all the time. Um, so between like being on the bike all the time from a young age and like the just solid group we had, like we all pushed each other so much. And I mean, it's the same in like Pennsylvania, like you guys had so many people to compete against, uh, growing up and, um, it just kind of helps push to get the kids to the next level. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is crazy. Uh, I guess, I don't know, life happens and people, you know, whether a lot of us too, like being from the West coast, like you, you, you uh, made a comment about uh, like my 150 being clapped out. Like a lot of the guys coming from Lodi <clears throat> came from like very humble beginnings. Like the Fongs definitely did and Hernandez. So like just logistically trying to get to, you know, the races back East or even amateur nationals, like it was a big undertaking for a, you know, for a family to like pack up and, and go and then do all that so um you know not that it wasn't for the east coast guys but like it was a little bit shorter of a trip you guys could kind of make it like a day trip or you know i mean obviously you spent the week at amateur nationals but yeah it was a lot for us and um yeah and then also just the the economy in california like the older we got just everything got more expensive and more expensive so i think naturally uh it was I don't want to say tougher, but it was, uh, yeah, it was just a different dynamic. So, but I do, uh, I do miss those days a lot. It's, it's a whole different, it's a whole different scene now, obviously at the pro level and like just, uh, the way American flat track is ran and everything. I, I oftentimes reminisce about how cool it was back then and 
how much fun we all had. So uh, I cherish some of those memories probably more than anything else, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, like when I go to the racetrack and I smell like a two stroke or something, like it'll, it'll ride by me. It brings back a lot of like nostalgia and I, I probably fucked that word up, but yeah, it brings back a lot of oh, memories. Dude, as <laughs> so. far as that goes, I don't think there's a, a local track in the entire country. And like, I, I guarantee you anybody would vouch for this, but like, it's crazy. You can go back to Lodi. So I'll go back to Lodi for like the night before the Sacramento mile race every year. And like, I swear, every single detail of that place is exactly the same as it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And it's like, I swear the same people, like, there will be like, like an old person that like a spectator or somebody who's like in the Lodi Motorcycle Club. And like, you're, you'll go there and you'll be like, you look exactly the same 20 <laughs> years ago. You're wearing like the same overalls with the same shirt in the same pit spot. And it's like, dude, it's so funny. So like for that aspect of it, it's like, it's so cool. Cause like it, it totally reminds you, it gives you like all those old feelings of like you had when you were growing up. So like, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's badass. Yeah. I, I've raced Lodi, I think maybe two or three times. It's a pretty cool track. It's definitely, definitely hard to pass on. It's, but it's iconic. I mean, there's been so many fast guys who have, who have raced there over the years, but, um, but yeah, you mentioned going over to like amateur nationals and things like that. Obviously you had, you had some really good results at amateur nationals, won some races, won some championships, but, uh, as you got older, you kind of started doing some other disciplines and that's kind of where, like in that time frame when supermoto was kind of growing and getting popular and you didn't grow up really riding moto. You didn't really grow up riding, like riding on the pavement like road racing, but you, you sort of started getting into supermoto and you actually raced in the, the pro supermoto series, pro supermoto series before you rode, I think any pro flat track. So talk about how that became, uh, and talk about those supermoto days a little bit, because kids now, uh, they're so naive to dude. these kids don't even, they don't even know who guys are from like the early two thousands. Like when we turned pro, they don't know half of the riders. They, they've never heard of them. So I think they're naive to how big supermoto was and the kind of direction it was going. It was, it was huge. And then it just vanished. <laughs> like it got really big and then it was gone. So yeah. How'd you get into that? And what was that like? Yeah. So, um, essentially, basically how I got into that was, I was, I went to a couple American super camp schools, um, and became like, you know, I, I kind of tried to do the whole, um, you know, stick with all that training and, and get my technique and everything down. Um, so it came about where Danny Walker, uh, from American super camp had a, like basically a, uh, invitational series on all, all stocks, exactly the same, all the same prepared, like, um, Honda one fifties. And they called it like the, uh, Honda junior supermoto challenge. So basically, and this was, this took part at like each round of the, um, AMA pro supermoto series. So it was 12 to 15 years old. And I think you had to like, maintain like a b average in school and then like 
you would have to get accepted to do your qualifying round. Um, do you have a B average or did you, did you forge your fucking honestly work car? <laughs> this is hilarious, but um, I did not, and we definitely fudged that. So if Dan is <laughs> listening <laughs> now, he knows. Uh, hopefully, I don't. He doesn't take back my results in that and uh, put an asterisk by my name. But <laughs> no, it's funny. I swear, like this is this is God honest truth. Like, um, we had a report card and oh, my mom's probably gonna kill me for this but she like put white out over it because like back then like you know it was like white out you couldn't like i don't even know if we like had a computer that would print or whatever but um so like we took white out and like i had i mean it wasn't horrible i definitely it wasn't like all b's it was like i had some c's in there i might have even had a these get degrees baby and <laughs> So we, anyways, we, yeah, we fudged that and uh, it got accepted. Um, so that first We year, walked right I, in. No big deal. Just no problems at all. <laughs> yeah, no problems. So that first year, uh, my qualifying round was in Southern California, Irwindale. It was like a big high banked, uh, uh, like uh, or race car track, NASCAR style. Anyways, I ended up winning that and then. And I was 12. So again, so then if you were top three in any of your qualifying rounds, you would get an invitation to go to Las Vegas for like the finale. Um, anyways, so I was 12 at that time. And then there was like a bunch of guys like, like there was like Johnny Lewis, uh, Michael Lessie, um, just guys from all different disciplines, flat track, road racing. Uh, Bobby was in that also, Bobby Fong. Um but yeah, it was like all different disciplines, which is really cool because like, I, again, like you said, at that time, Supermoto was just taking off and it was huge and it kind of brought everybody together. Um, so that was cool. Uh, my first race in Las Vegas, I crashed out. Uh, I think Alessi went on to win that one. And then from there, the next season, I went back and did the same thing. Um, and I ended up qualifying again, made it to Vegas and i won in las vegas so it was cool at the time danny like you, they put you in all alpine star leathers um and then they gave like they gave you the bike well the the contingent part was if you were top three in las vegas you get to keep the bike and keep the leathers so that was like really cool um and so from there uh so i was 13 so then from there i just kept i kept doing supermoto because like it was it was fun for me um and then eventually when i turned 16 i raced the pro stuff um but yeah like you said back then it was crazy like uh when i first went into the pro series like the names that were in it were it's just it's incredible like it was like overwhelming um how many like fast guys were doing it and uh it was just like it was such a good like for me, it was such a good, like, cross between what I knew and then what, you know, what I could learn. Um, and at the time, like, the dirt sections progressively got, like, more and more gnarly. Like, it wasn't super, like, super motocrossy back then. So, like, I would still, like, be able to hold my own in the dirt. And then on the asphalt, it was, like, kind of where I would pick up my time. Um, but, yeah, I don't – it's – I wish that still stuck around. I think it's a huge benefit for like 
cross training and just learning different skills and everything like that. Um, which a lot of guys still like kind of a lot of road racers still ride on the road, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was cool was, that I combined all the different riders from different disciplines. I mean, you got to see, you got to see like Ben Bostrom ride against Travis Pastrana ride against J.R. Schnabel. You know, I mean, it was, it kind of combined all the disciplines and that part of it was, was super cool. Um, but yeah. And like back then too, there was no specialist, right? So like supermoto now, like a kid, like there's people that just strictly race supermoto who are like really, really fast. And, um, back then it was cool because you had like Ben Bostrom, like you said, you know, going up against Travis Pastrana, going up against like even James Stewart and Nikki Hayden, like they did the supermoto and the X games, but it was cool because, the different skill sets would like cross and then you could visually see like, Oh, he's going to make up so much time here. And the other guy's going to make up so much time there. And like, so it was like a race in, in amongst, it was like a race within the race. And then you could kind of tell like the guys who were just like really crafty racers would like end up getting it in the end, you know, they'd like figure out how to make up for certain like areas. Yeah, Doug Henry, Jeff Ward, those guys. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really cool. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And then obviously you came back and, and you started doing like supermoto. Like I said, man, it, it got really big. There was tons of involvement, tons of top guys. I don't know what the payout was like, but it was huge. I mean, that's that they were getting cover. They were on the cover of cycle news frequently like that series. And then it just vanished. Um, so then you came back, you started doing more dirt track. I remember you, kind of pro sport you battled with brandon robinson for the championship and b rob was dating uh shana at the time so i kind of knew i mean we've always been friends like i knew you then and yeah so talk about getting back into getting back into the flat track scene and what that was like i mean how i'm trying to think if you even missed anything because you rode amateur nationals and then you you must have did supermoto with the flat track because then you rode pro sport it's not like you really missed any years, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I raced flat track every year of like my career, you know? Um, so that first year, I think it was, uh, 2000, uh, Five, four, or seven. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that season, that was my very first season racing pro supermoto. Um, and so I actually did both series. So like, we had that, I think you were there. You were at that race in uh, Guthrie, Oklahoma. <laughs> I broke my ankle there, yeah. It was like Mike. Yeah, yeah, Mike. I was a on. problem so, in there, dude. I was I was a TT specialist <laughs> that day. I was fucking sending it. And then I broke my ankle, but yeah. Yeah, I remember there was a couple There was a couple big uh, big things that happened that day. I think I remember Jesse Janish like, lost his front brake going into – into one of the corners like high speed and just like completely laid it down straight into the veil. Well, that's where Chris Hart got hurt um, too when his triple clamps broke off the jump. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Dude, that, that was, was a big gnarly... jump. That was a big jump. That was no, it was like the way I compare it, like people have asked me about it. And uh it's like in an arena cross you have like, like the what they call like the catapult, which is like the finish line jump. And it's like, okay, imagine that and then there's just no landing. And we're <laughs> on all on, a, on flat a flat track, track bike. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it like was, uh... I would literally, 
after that jump, I would like bounce like three feet in the air and then like have to like get on the brakes for the next corner. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, so like that first season, I actually raced the whole um, AMA Pro Sport Series and then also like the Supermoto stuff. So um, yeah, that was, it was a lot of training. Is that the year you won the championship? 07? Yep. Yeah. Me and me and Brandon went back and forth the whole time. Um, we were actually like really good friends. Uh, I mean, we've always been, we've always been pretty, pretty tight. Um, but we were like, you know, we were good friends and then just like, I don't know what it is. The nature of racing, it's almost like if you're a head to head heated battle with somebody, it's, it's hard to stay like friends. And I remember like at one point in the, it was like right before, cause amateur nationals used to be part of the series and it was like, it was a smart move on his part, but like, I had no idea. Like I remember this, this could happen. This is good. Yeah. So, I was going to bring we it were up. At amateur nationals. Yeah. We were at amateur. Nah, we'll, we'll put it out there. It's all good. Um, it was in the coin. And we were at amateur nationals and, uh, and we were like in a pretty close battle. I thought like, you know, I thought, I had like, I could do whatever I needed to like kind of get it done. Well, there was like a race in Frederick, Maryland that also offered points and it was on our off day of amateur nationals. Well, he like flew to Frederick and raced the race and he ended up like getting second, second place points, which was like 19 points, which I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is almost probably like out of reach now. So like, I was, I was so mad and I was like, I just like, took all my anger out on him i was like he sucks like i gotta do whatever i can to like make this happen I, and i still remember like back i mean i'm still well, he didn't tell anybody that... he just like flew out like nobody knew he was going i mean i i don't know if we knew i, I think obviously i probably knew at that point because he was dating Shayna, but he flew out to frederick and then flew back to illinois to keep racing to keep racing that it's kind of stupid they did that where they had two, you know what I mean? Like they had the schedule yeah. that way. It was really weird. Oh yeah. Actually. On his part, like it was smart. It was just a big, it was a big, bold strategy, but um, <laughs> it were it, I was going to say it, it worked out, but it didn't work out for him, but it was smart. I mean, it, had we known we, I mean, maybe would have done the same thing, but uh, yeah, he kept his cards close, but I remember I was, I was, I was really mad and I was like, a, I was really like a fiery kid back then. So I remember the next the next race was the TT, and I, back then like I was like because I was doing supermoto and stuff, and uh, so I was like really good on TT. So like I purposely like went out behind him and practiced even like in the staging line. <laughs> I don't know why I was like trying to get in his head, but I like would run my front wheel into his back wheel, and there was like a couple times like he'd look behind and was like, dude, like what the heck. And then, uh, yeah, in practice, I would just, like, go out behind him and try to, like, mess with him. And uh, so, anyways, yeah, basically that week we had the TT and two half miles left. And uh, I ended up winning the TT. I think my buddy and, and Joe Hernandez, who we just talked about, and Brandon were in the same semi together, and you had to win to make it. Um I think Brandon might have messed up in the heat race or something and had to go through a semi. And Joe ended up passing him in the last corner. And uh, and I remember I was stoked. I was like cheering, and I was like, dang, maybe maybe I shouldn't like cheer like this. But um, so then we had two half miles left, and I beat him at one, and I think then he beat me at one, and I ended up winning by like 
a few points or something, but um, it was a good, it was a good battle. We, we, uh, we definitely brought out the best in each other. Like that whole season, he, uh, I mean, he was obviously, you know, he was one of the fastest back then. And I mean, he still is, but yeah, so that was kind of uh, my pro sport experience. And um, I, yeah, it was, it was good. How much did the pro sport championship pay? <laughs> Nothing. And I think it was like 500 Dude. bucks to win a race. Yeah. No, it wasn't even that. It was like $240. I think I remember what it was like, because my pro sport year was absolutely stacked. It was like the year prior and we had 45 oh, yeah. guys show up in Daytona. I mean, it was, it was stacked. I mean, Brett Sassman, Kyle Wyman, Bonzi, Schwarzenbacher, Bonzi. Justin Hanna, yeah. Carpinello. Uh, ah, fuck. It's funny Dude. too, because you say all these names and people like might not know how like, really good all those guys were oh dude then. they were like, good brock was like brock used to kick all of our asses consistently dude, on brock TTs. was like the tt man yeah yeah well yeah that two face like you were saying uh the two stroke at amateur nationals like him and johnny lewis were like the probably the favorites to, to uh to win that and i ended up winning but yeah brock like brock was definitely like very solid he was solid on everything but he was like exceptional on tts back then yeah. Yeah. Anytime I would beat Brock, it would be huge. And I was honestly out oh, of all those. Hanna, dude, Justin Hanna was really good on TTs back then. He was good in general. He was the the kid who went to space camp. He always talked about how he went to space camp. I'm like, bro, you're not going to get any chicks right. talking about space camp. But, uh, yeah. yeah, he was good. And, and, uh, dude, there was so many guys. I was probably the slow out of all those people. I was the, I was the slowest one. Like I, I was, I wasn't shit. They were, if I could beat Brock once all season, I was happy, you know? So it's, it's crazy. Just looking back at that and, and like Shane Narbonne. Yeah, and you're still, like Cruz's size back then. Though, so you kind of <laughs> get a little. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have my man strength yet, but uh, dude, yeah. it's, it's crazy looking back on that. And then, and then we had, I mean, it was actually a rough time. For you want to hear a real quick Chad Coe's moment during that season real quick was, yeah, uh, of course we went to D we went to Dayton, Ohio, and um, it was it, uh, also part of, like, the Hot Shoe Series, the Pro Sport Championship. And I'm, like, walking around the pits, you know, saying what's up to everybody, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's, like, right before practice. And back then, like, there was no uh, – there was, like, no pre-entry or anything. Or maybe there was pre-entry, but, like, we didn't pre-enter, right? And my dad was, like, getting ready to, like, get my gear on. He's like, hey uh, – you went, you went to, you entered, you entered yourself. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, no, I didn't. And like, he was so mad. Cause like, yeah. So I went back to sign up and they're like, yeah, sign up's closed. You can't enter. And I was like, no, no, no. Like you don't understand. Like I'm like going for the championship. Like I have to, I have to enter. They're like, no, like, I'm sorry. Can't enter. So like, uh, my dad was so, so mad at me, man. And so like, I ended up having to call Ken Salon and like the, the person that signed up was like, the only way you can do it is if like Ken Salon approves of it, which he was like, you know, the, the head amateur AMA guy um, back then. And, uh, and I gave my dad, I was like, here, dad, like, here's the number. Can you call him? He's like, Nope, you're going to call him yourself and talk to him. So I ended up like calling him and was like, Hey, like I totally blew it. Can I like enter? And luckily he, uh, he let me enter, but uh, yeah, that was like, it was, it was a big moment. That is a Chad Coast moment. Uh, when you were talking about using whiteout on your report card, it got me thinking about when we 
I'm, I'm a couple years older than you. I remember we used to try to go out like to a bar just to have some drink skis and you would, you did your ID, you weren't old enough. So you had your passport and I would Sharpie, like, I don't know, you had like, it might've been a nine and I turned it into oh, an eight. We'd Sharpie your passport. So your, your, uh, your year was different and it worked fine until I think one of the bouncers grabbed it. Like he smeared the, he smeared my, my, my artwork and it didn't, it didn't work at the, at the front gate, but Hey baby, we don't quit. We, we resharpied it and went to the back gate and got in. <laughs> so. Dude, I tell that story. Okay. So there's like, that's, that's, there's like two reasons for this, this whole thing, which is they're both hilarious. But, uh, yeah, the fact that I had a passport in general as an ID was like, because I lost my actual ID. So like I ran a passport literally for like years. six years with no, yeah. Yeah, with no actual license or ID, just because, you know, I was too, I don't know. I just didn't go and get one. But, yeah, exactly. And whoever, by the way, whoever let us, like, hang out together back then was, (laughs) I mean, we we didn't know what was going on. All we knew was, uh, yeah, you took my passport, and I was like, dude, this is not going to work. You're like, dude, it's fine. Trust me. Like, trust me. And I'm like, all right. So... Yeah, you like ended up changing one of the numbers, and like it was so like I I don't know I was like maybe nineteen or twenty. I actually it was like probably a month I think before turning twenty one. So I was like, oh, I'm close. And you're like, yeah, just like we'll change this. And I was twenty, and I think like the the number you change it to would have like made me thirty instead of like whatever <laughs> it was like. Just, yeah. So I'm like, oh man. So like the bouncer like looks at us, looks at it. Granted, we both look like we're like probably 15 back then. Um, and the bouncer's like smears it and is like, yep, this isn't going to work. And I still remember like we, he like held it as if he was going to like keep it. I'm like, oh no. So we like swiped it out of his hand and like ran. And then, uh, yeah, you're like, dude, we could get him to the back door and, <laughs> you know. We were we were resilient about it, so we definitely still got in. We got in, yeah, yeah. And I think we almost I think we got enough like a fight that night too. Like I think once we got in, we we got a little pushy and shovey with, with some of the people in there, which yeah, yeah we weren't very we were, we were we were probably talking some snack, but I don't think uh yeah I don't think it ever went. We weren't very smart, that's for sure. But I mean most people would have gave up, dude, and that just shows our resilience. Like we just we just don't quit. I mean, we're, we almost got it taken away. You almost got, it's not even like it's your passport. Like you almost got your passport taken away. And, uh, yeah, yeah most people would call it a night, you know, and I was, uh, nah, we, we ain't quitting, baby. We're going in. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's funny. But, uh, kind of going back to, we have so many stories, dude, but going back to kind of that deal, um, what I was kind of getting at is, the series kind of sucked back then. Like there wasn't a pro singles class that didn't start till 2009. I think it was, mm-hmm. um, you basically had the hot shoe series, which you won a hundred dollars in a bag of Doritos. When you want to race, you didn't win shit. And then, then they had this expert twins class that, that they started doing and it was okay. It was kind of, kind of cool. At least they were, they were trying to do something and you were riding that Aprilia for, for the Lloyd brothers. And, and you did really good on that bike. Uh, I want to say you won, I want to say you won a race or two, right? So that was, 
That was kind of cool. Um, it was like a DTX bike and Aprilia and they restricted the Harleys down to like 27 millimeters or something. Like they had 30 horsepower and those Aprilias were pretty good. Yeah, they were, <clears throat> um, they, yeah, they, they had some characteristics, but they weren't very good, but they're, the, those characteristics were like manageable, um, because it's kind of like a modern day, you know, like when Brian Smith's Cowie was racing against the Harleys, like we had, everything else was so restricted that like we had some straightaway speed on everybody else. So like if we would spin through the corners or whatever, um, you know, we could kind of make up for it. Um, but yeah, that was a cool program they put together. Uh, again, like that was, Brandon was like on a Harley, Brandon Robinson. And uh, again, me and him were kind of the two going at it in the championship. And then uh, Rispoli was my teammate on that, on the riding for the Lloyd brothers, Aprilia team. Um, but yeah, so I, I broke, that season I was supposed to race for um Zanotti, Dave Zanotti on uh on Harley's and like remember when first, you uh, uh remember when uh it was at Savannah the first time you ever rode a Harley and so somebody blew up going into turn one, you you hit the oil spot and went off the track. Yeah, that that was <laughs> honestly like it was like your I second lap on the Harley. It was yeah, yeah it, was, it was and I and I like granted I didn't really ride I've never like prior to that, I never raced a road tax. I hardly ever rode like, uh, you know, I rode a 450 framer the season before, but that was like the first time even being on like any type of framed bike. Um, and like, I just remember like the Harleys were so big and like they were intimidating, like to, to me at least, like they're big and like just heavy. And so, yeah, like the first, couple laps of practice somebody blew up and like I came across the oil and like just had almost I had a, such a big like moment I didn't end up crashing but it scared the crap out of me like and ever since then I was like yeah I don't think I like these Harleys <laughs> <laughs> trying to gather that up was was a lot so um yeah I but yeah no that, that season was awesome it was a lot of fun uh yeah, me and me and Rispoli, we were, you know, we we go way back too, and we've had a lot of fun and everything together, and uh, so that was a fun season. Um, but yeah, the first race of that season, I didn't have a ride because uh, I ended up blowing up one of the Harleys in, um, I think in like practice or testing or something. I, I don't re recall if it was a race or not. It wasn't a race because, yeah, it was Savannah. It was it was I blew it up at Savannah, and. Uh, so essentially, yeah, the Lloyd brothers asked if I wanted to race that Aprilia in, um, in New York at the first race of the season. And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, so I ended up riding it and winning. And then from there, yeah, we just kind of raced that whole season. And um, it, uh, Brandon ended up winning that championship. But it was, it was fun. Me and, me and James had a lot of fun uh being teammates and the lloyds were uh kind of just starting to get it they were in flat track for a few years or with uh with like henry and the big bike program but yeah for us it was kind of all new but our bike honestly was it was good for that class like we had a chance to win you know all the races i think i won three races that year but um it was competitive everywhere and it was yeah it was just uh like again the series at that time was 
you know, it wasn't, it wasn't amazing, but the racing and, you know, the, the fun of it was like pretty, pretty up there. Yeah. I'm looking at your, your bio sheet here, which, uh, the second, the second sentence on here, it says an, ex- an exceptional natural athlete. I don't know who the fuck wrote that. So go <laughs> Honestly, that did not come from me. Like, oh, I swear. It says, uh, an exceptional natural athlete. Coach started racing at age nine and was also a standout track and field competitor during his high school days. It's like, all right, relax, dude, save some for the rest of us. But, uh, <laughs> I'm looking at all these classes, dude, and hot shoe expert singles, expert twins, GNC singles, GNC twins, GNC one, GNC, AFT twins, AFT singles, AFT production twins, blah, 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 dude. We've, we've, we've been in the series so long where so many changes have happened with class structures and series sponsors. And I think well, a couple of years, it was Harley Davidson insurance and progressive and Ford. And it's been crazy. The amount of times it's changed over the years. And you had a lot of success, honestly, in like 2010 through that 2011, like you had some really good races, especially on the single where you'd win a heat race or or whatever and finish in the top 10. And that was a really, really like stacked time to be in the series, but nobody was making money then nobody, it wasn't on TV really. It kind of sucked. So uh, I guess my question is what was your, your favorite time to be a part of the series? Like not going off of money, but maybe the bikes, the program, the structure, what was your kind of favorite years to be, to be in there racing um yeah yeah so like there's pros and cons to like i think each um you know time frame of like where our series has been and where it is now and everything like that um but yeah it was the most fun i had was was obviously like winning is fun so like more recently it's it's been fun to win but like the most fun and I would say like the most at the core of what our series kind of came from and what it, what it is, is like, I think was back around that area. I would say like 2010, 11 to like 2000, you know, 14 was, you know, was a lot of fun. And yeah, it was, it was, I had, you know, I didn't have great success. I had, you know, I had a lot of top tens um, and I've, Dude, there was a couple seasons there where I felt like I fast qualified like almost every race on a 450 and would just kind of kind of like blow it or or just get out race like you know I was still really young and like um all the guys were you know they, it's weird now because like on 450s like all the kids are so young and they're the ones that are like kind of crushing it where back then it was like you kind of had to like cut your teeth like you had to like um get the experience and and everything like that so like to put it in perspective like how stacked it was like we raced 450s you know as part of like the quote-unquote gnc1 class um on all the short tracks and tts back then so like how competitive it was was like to this day jared Mees has never won a 450 like a, a gnc 450 race um so that's i mean that in itself is pretty wild uh so but yeah as far as like fun it just it's not even comparable like you know like 
the years of us all like getting in a van and traveling together and you know and it was like everybody like it was high level people like jake johnson and, and jared and like um and you know so everybody would like hop in a van and go and now like there's none of that man like everybody flies in does their does their thing and, and goes home and like even the camaraderie in the pits is like way different like it's you know nobody I mean, you know, everybody has the, you know, everybody's cool, high, you know, stuff like that. But like, as far as the stories that we can tell and like the experiences we've had with each other and, and like in all the other guys, um, it's it's not even comparable. Like I would say we were fortunate enough to have like that last, uh, you know, grassroots feel of what flat track racing was at the at the highest level. You know, like you can you know, I'm sure some of the amateur guys still kind of caravan to the, to the races and stuff like that. But like, I mean, we were doing it at the highest level, you know, it wasn't, you know, nobody was making, you know, a bunch of money doing it, but it was, it was cool. So that, that part of it was cool. Obviously now, you know, there's a little bit more money in the sport. It's taken, you know, a little bit more seriously and stuff like that. So like, that's obviously, um, the upside of it but yeah those are irreplaceable memories that i'm i'm very fortunate that we came up through that time because uh yeah unfortunately like kids these days now you know they have a they have a platform to to race motorcycles for a living but you know guys like evan or cody or chase or you know and tom it's like they have a lot of pressure on them right from the get-go which is good. Pressure is a good thing, like to be able to, to get on one of these good teams or, or have a potential of, of getting paid to race motorcycles for a living from a young age. But, you know, with that comes a lot of responsibility and stuff. And uh, for us, um, it, it wasn't like that. We were kind of like just dinking around, like, you know, and, but again, I wouldn't trade it. I, I, I loved the way it was for us. And I think it, it makes you appreciate everything. And, and even like when you do get a good ride or, or you put in a good result, it's nice to reflect on like, wow, like, you know, it's been, we've came from a whole different, a whole different thing. And uh, it's, it's been a good ride. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I, I think too, uh, I think when you have to fight for it for so long, the emotions of finally succeeding or, or getting to where you want to be. It's even better where I see a lot of these kids, they come in, they win and they just don't look that excited. It's like, dude, this is like, cause it, it came so easy to so many of them, like getting good rides and, and getting paid and winning races. I mean, for so many back in the day, it took 10, 15 years to even, even come close to that level. And honestly, it, it's kind of scary too, where, you know, say, say some of these, these guys pull out a little bit, like St- Jerry Stinchfield and, and, uh, and Essenson and Turner, because right now, or at least last year, uh, I think the landscape for next year looks a little bit rougher, but I, I think yeah. last year, a lot of guys were getting paid and making money. These kids were, but when they move up to a twin, there's, there's really no, there's nobody really making, there's more guys that are making money on the single. And I think, I think some of the kids might be in for a rude awakening where that might, it just might not come that easy where, you know, for, for somebody like me, Jared Meese, yourself, uh, guys who we had to grind to make any money. You couldn't just show up and, 
get paid. I mean, it was a, it was a grind to make money. So yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a weird different dynamic now than, than what it used to be. And yeah, I think, I think next year looks, yeah, totally. looks tough I mean, too. I think that there's a whole nother level of like, uh, you know, the, the determination and stress that that's involved when you kind of have to like, like it's desperation mode, like, Hey, I have to find money to get to the races and then then when you do get to the races it's like hey i have to kind of do good in order to like uh keep going or you know even have the money to like go go back home um yeah i think now like i think now the the kids they they do a good job of like putting a lot of effort into like you know riding and training and, and stuff like that but i do think obviously a lot of them are on like you know the best equipment too which granted you know a lot of times the the best riders have the best equipment but like it would be interesting to see some of the, the younger guys have to you know say like field their own you know privateer bike or or even just like yeah not making the money and and how that plays into like you know how much you're actually going to be on the bike because of the cost that it takes to to get to the practice tracks and everything like that it just kind of like it puts a whole nother uh, dynamic in, in it all. And yeah, like from that perspective, we have been through a lot and, uh, and kind of just kind of pushed through it all. Um, so yeah, hopefully for the sake of our sport, you know, it doesn't digress, but I think we've already seen a couple of things. Like you said, we have a little bit of insider um, knowledge on like next season. And I think, I think it is going to change a little bit and it might be rides might be a little bit more scarce and like um and yeah people moving up to the twins class and you know that have honestly never even been on framed motorcycles or or road twins and it's like uh as good as these younger guys are on the gx 450s i think it's going to be an equal challenge for them to kind of like take that next step on a twin especially against a lot of the guys in the twins class now are, you know, they're like older guys who've been riding the bikes for so long and it's, it's not going to be like hopping on a 450 and, and just going out. Um, and yeah, and it's, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm either way, no matter what, I'm as much of a fan as I am a racer of the sport. I would just, you know, I, I want to keep seeing the sport grow and, um, hopefully that, that happens, but we'll, we'll see. What are your thoughts on the fans who, and what would you say to them who they, they talk about the singles class being the premier class? I mean, you've raced both classes and we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but what are your, what are your thoughts on that? As far as um, like how it should be looked at as far as the twins and singles go and, and the talent level in both classes. I mean, I think it should be just that twins and singles. I mean, no matter which way you slice it, like, you can't say, I mean, trust me, I, I know like I've raced both classes as much or more than anybody. And like the premier class is, is the twins class. Like, I mean, like if Jared Meese had to figure out how to win races on a 450 and go for championships, like he would figure it out. And, you know, like guys like Briar and Dallas and JD, like those guys are, they'll just figure it out, like no matter what. And there's, and there's a reason why they've had the success they've had. Um, now I think like right now, these guys, like the younger guys on DTX style bikes are like, 
probably some of the best 450 riders that I've seen personally. You know, I could be like, you know, a prisoner of the moment. Um, not that I don't think like the guys in the twins class could, could ride 450s, you know, well, but, but also the level of equipment too, which you got to take into consideration, like the, the level of equipment that these young kids are able to get on from like the get go is like, it's insane. Like we've never had that growing up and like, so while like they're really good, you know, really talented guys, they also have like the best bikes out there. So yeah, I just think it's, it should be viewed as two different things. I do think personally, like the, the competition is better in the, not better. It's, it's more, um, like there's, there's more guys on the single. Yeah. There's more guys on the singles. I think there's more, you know, there's more like things that can happen. Um, I think like, yeah, it's, it's just a whole different, it's a whole different thing, but it's, I do think it's more exciting personally, like from a fan standpoint, a hundred percent, it's more exciting. Um, and you know, outside of Cody, like just kind of being Cody, like at, at any given race, there's, there's, and you know, a bunch of different guys who can win where most times it's like in the twins class, it's like Briar, Dallas, Jared, you know, or, you know, yeah, JD I mean, we had, uh, we had six winners in the singles class. We had four winners in the twins class, but I look at, like, if I look at the the champions in both classes, you look at Cody Cop and Jared Meese, and then you go to fifth place in both classes, you have Max Whale and Davis Fisher. And you go to 10th place, you have yourself in the singles, you have Colby Carlisle in the twins. I mean, you could, I mean, I, I don't think anybody is, Jared, Jared is the, is the top guy right now. So it's, but like the other comparisons, like Max and Davis, yourself and Colby, it's, uh, I think, dude, it's not that far off. It's pretty similar where the top 10 in both classes are really talented accomplished riders i mean you look at colby he was a singles champion ben lau was ninth bronson jared vanderkoy um i just think the gap from the top the gap from the top four guys and twins is a lot bigger than the gap top four in singles so it's oh absolutely yeah yeah, yeah and too like it's, it's easy too to get caught up in like the here and the now because like <clears throat> a lot of times people forget like you know how good of riders like Bronson or or like uh, Vanderkoy and stuff are because like you know they haven't like they're not on the podium uh, like like super often every weekend so like it's easy to look at like you know a Tom Drain or Chase Southoff and and like oh yeah like you know like these kids are they're the next you know big thing which granted like they have a lot of talent but it's like we we almost have to like woe it back a little bit because like yeah, there's guys that have been doing it for so long that it's like they're not any worse than they ever were. It's just like their name kind of just gets pushed to the side a little bit because like the excitement or the attention gets put on like a lot of the younger guys. But um, how do you think yeah, some no, of those guys would do if they moved to a twin right now? Like, let's say we put uh, what is it? The singles we have uh, Cody and Tom, you know, top two. I think Chase was maybe third in points or Trevor Bruner. So you take those three guys, you put them on a good twin. Are they be, are they going to, are they going to crack the top four? Like, are they, are they going to be able to beat Jared, Dallas, JD or Briar? No, like I will absolutely not. The, the, the one exception I think is like, I've seen Cody do things that like, he's, he's pretty, uh, 
you know, like he's, he's pretty, he's like the next guy. Like he's somebody that I think eventually is going to compete with Briar and, and Dallas and, and Jared, but like, um, you know, and this is obviously my opinion. I could be wrong. Somebody could prove me wrong, but like right now, I think nobody's competing with them. Even Cody, like it would take Cody a little bit, but on the right bike and everything, like I think he would figure it out. Um, but vice versa too. Like, I don't think any of those guys could come race a 450 right now. Um, you know, especially not, not raw dog it, like not just jump in. Yeah, no, no. Cause it's, I don't know, man. Like back in the day, everybody, we all rode 450s and twins. Like when we'd go to a, a, an all-star event or a hot shoe or a Steve Nace race, I'd ride my twin and I'd ride the four, uh, the 450. Um, yeah. now guys, guys just aren't doing that. You don't see Jared Meese ride a single, maybe once a year, winter throwdown or Briar once a year, nobody ride like everyone's so focused on like twins riders. They ride a twin everywhere. Now, um, they test on a twin, like down in the winter, Ocala, they're on twins where yeah. the guys on singles, I think it's just repetition. I mean, they're on, yeah they're on singles so much it's uh it's just it's hard to jump on a single once a year and compete with guys who literally ride them every weekend so yeah that's and that's that's yeah and a lot of times the twins guys that are hopping on their 450s it's literally like their motocross practice bikes with like suspension that they haven't even tested and meanwhile you have you know like turner and essenson and like even us uh you know our team first impressions like we're on our bikes testing suspension and riding these things like all the time like you said so it uh yeah it's not really like a fair assessment but um yeah i mean if i had to like put money on it i don't think anybody's getting on a twin and beating them and vice versa i think you know but there's a reason jared and briar and dallas and those guys are like the riders they are so like i'm not going to say they wouldn't get on a 450 and be able to win or or whatever but i do think it would be a, a tall task um you know outside of like uh like you know briar on a short track or tt like that's the thing too like our class right now is well-rounded as everybody is like i still think like as far as like tt like specialists like we don't really have it we have a lot of different guys who could win tts who like aren't necessarily like t tiers where like i think if briar you know got on a 450 and raced uh 450 race on a tt or even jared or, or dallas or jd like i think they could they would you know I, in my opinion they would beat the, the guys that we have right now so yeah um yeah i, I, I agree it'd be interesting Not to see him on a mile like, though like to see yeah, Jared yeah. Meese on a 450 on a mile, track. that'd be interesting. Yeah, on the bigger tracks, it would be a whole different story. I think uh, I think that's where they would have a, a tough time. Uh, switching back to your career a little bit, I wanted to talk about your your first podium uh, finish at Texas in, I think it was 2015 or 17. Or it was 17 or 18. Ah, fuck, I don't know. I think it was 2000. Let's, let me think here. 18. It was 2018. I was on a single that year. Uh Dude, long time coming. I'm I'm sure it was an amazing feeling. And talk about that. And is that kind of your your high? Like, what's your talk about that? And then follow up. Like, is that your most memorable race? Um, it's definitely up there. It might, yeah, it might be just because of what it meant and how it all happened and everything. Um, yeah, like 
again, like kind of going back to how I was saying, like when you would get into the series, um, most times the the landscape of it was you would field your own bike or your own team. So like, obviously, like I, I didn't come from like a lot of money or anything like that. So like I, in my opinion, like I was always on pretty mediocre to subpar like equipment. So it was really tough to to be competitive and it took a lot to like um to get a bike that was uh so anyways it was cool because that season I got an Indian and then I worked with Tom Inglehart which was like you know um my mechanic for a few years and it went way beyond that like he was he's a really good friend of mine a mentor and so it was cool like the whole that whole season you know we did really well but the cool part was was like for the first time I felt that, you know, I was on a, an even playing field. Cause like that year, you know, 80 or 90% of the class was like all Indians. So I felt like, okay, we're all on the same bikes now. Like, let's just go out and race. So yeah, I ended up getting the podium there at Texas and it, yeah, it, all the emotions, man. Like, as you, you know, you know, your first podium, it was like, you think about it all and then it's like wow you know this this really happened and uh and yeah you're just proud and 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 everything so and then again too it's like all the years of struggle on yourself is one thing but then like all the people that constantly support you sponsor you you know your family that is always there for you through the highs and lows it's like they get a a big satisfaction in that too so so yeah it was I would say it's probably my most memorable. Yeah, I guess it's my most memorable race. Obviously, like, you know, some of the race wins and stuff, too, are, are pretty up there. But I think, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, as they say, like, you never forget your first. So <laughs> that was the first one. <laughs> yeah, no, that was uh, <clears throat> that was cool. I, I've always liked that track. I, I don't know why. Everybody else kind of hates it. But I always thought Texas Motor Speedway was, was kind of cool. Um, I don't know why I just, I just always liked it, but that was, yeah, that was cool, man. It was cool to finally see, see that happen. And it was, it was kind of like the Indian years where we had a bunch of Indians out there in 17 and 18. And then they brought the production uh, twins class in in 19, 20, 21, 22. And you rode in that class quite a bit. And what are your thoughts on, on the production twins class and kind of the, the different bikes and how that class kind of, came about um obviously we, we raced in it but it's cool to get some other thoughts and opinion on that on that class and and what what made you want to compete in it yeah no it was honestly at the time it was uh i rode yeah i rode the indian i finished i forget i think fifth or sixth in the championship and really nothing came came about it you know like i kind of was anticipating getting a little bit more support or something you know a ride coming along or something happening for me um because that was sort of like i made the agreement with tom inglehart uh, that was kind of like our all-in year like hey like let's put in our best effort and uh you know let's see where that gets us and i think we you know we were really solid like to, to the point where i thought maybe something should have came out of that and it didn't um um, and that was possibly just the nature of, of where the series was or whatever. Um, so yeah, going into 2019, I just kind of like wanted to do something that really wasn't 
being done and I was my aspirations were were, were pretty big like I, I at the time I was like oh well I'll just race a 450 and a twin and you know I'll win all these races and I'll make all this money and like you know I'm gonna it, it'll be awesome well <laughs> on paper it looked good but uh yeah it was it was harder than I guess you know I thought but which is a good thing I think uh the the actual production twins class was like it was awesome I think and each year it got harder and harder the bikes got better the competition got stiffer um but yeah that first year in 2019 was fun I mean you know me and you and everybody else that was in the class was it was fun um and then as it as it progressed each year like I said then the Harleys came in and those were good bikes and and then more riders came in and uh and yeah it was so i still think that it could very much be like very very competitive like the 450 class and it was too um but i would i wish somehow the twins class like our current twins class could get there where it was like the bikes were more even and i hate saying that because like in racing like obviously like part of racing is like the teams and manufacturers and everybody able to build a bike that can go out and and beat everybody else and like you hate to like dumb a bike down or restrict a bike to make it to where everybody else is competitive but that was the cool thing about the production class was you had all these different bikes and they all had different characteristics that were a little bit better here a little bit better there but overall it was like very the class was like so well put together that like I think any bike, any brand had a chance to win. So in that regard, like, I think it was awesome. And I just wish somehow, I don't know the answer, but I wish somehow like we could have that kind of feel or that competition side of it in like the current twins class. Cause I think it would thrive. I think then even the guys that are racing now and then the younger guys coming up, it would, it would make it more competitive. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I've said it before. Uh, part of the, my biggest draw in that class was that uh, everybody had, we were on similar bikes and, um, you yeah. mentioned too. I mean, I, I, th- I thought the Harley, the Harley got a lot better. Whereas like the last year, there were a couple races where I rode good, like pretty good. And Janish would smoke me. And I think maybe it was, um, he's a great rider, but I also think the Vance and Hines bike, uh, it, it came a long way, like where the last couple years, it, uh, you know, they were kind of the essence in racing of the production twins class where it, it got very, very hard to, to beat what they were doing. Um, but generally speaking, everybody's bikes, like you said, were, were very similar and it gave opportunities to, to teams that like, like G&G racing to go out and win and compete. But your results in the, in those classes are honestly a little bit underrated. I mean, the 2019, uh, season, where you rode both, both classes, you, you won a race in both classes. You won two production twins races. You won the AFT singles race at rapid city. You got fifth in both point standings, which is dude, that's, that's really, really like underrated. And then uh, you were ninth and sixth the next year in both classes. And then you were second in the production twins class in 2021. So some really, really good results. You won a handful of races and yeah, it was just, uh, it was a good time, probably a good, a good opportunity for you to make some money. And I mean, you were, dude, you were 
honestly, for a couple of seasons there, you were battling for championships. So that was, you know, it's, it's definitely something to uh, be proud of for sure. Yeah, no, I look back and, you know, uh, it all, it all worked out. I'm glad I kind of made that shift from just, you know, the just twins only class to, uh, to, yeah, the experience of the production class and racing four fifties and everything like that. Um, like I, I love competition too. So it's cool. It was, it was awesome being able to race like you, you know, going for a championship against you and then also riding the 450 class and like having a whole different group of guys that are like, you know, like with you, it's like, I can race so hard against you and go for a championship and race week in and week out and like have absolutely zero um worry like okay like is he gonna like take my handlebar out or anything you know anything like that and then on the flip side of that race the 450 class where it's like for the most part i trust a lot of the guys but also like it's a whole different it's a whole different like mindset like when you race against them it's like you kind of there's just it's different things which from a from a competitor side i like both like i think it keeps you on your toes like and obviously like when you get older you're you're a little bit more reluctant of like okay you know this guy or am i going to do this or that but i think it kind of keeps you sharp and like i like that and it's kind of so, yeah, crazy like, thinking uh, about it in 2019 like i battled i battled with you for wins that year and we battled pretty hard at like lima um and then you battled with shana on the 450 so <laughs> You know, yeah. I, I was, I was talking, uh, I asked Colby when we had Colby on, I asked him like, what's the biggest difference in racing me and racing Shana? And he had a pretty good answer. So I'm kind of curious on your end. I mean, you've battled with, with both of me and Shana. What is the, what's the biggest difference you think? Um, well, from, I'll, I'll just go off of the year we raced each other and, um, because I mean, we didn't race each other a whole lot, honestly, we, but we uh i mean growing up you know um but just that year that we kind of went at it in the championship uh i would say like racing you it was like everything you were good at you you were consistent and like really good at so like you would just set yourself up so well like get good starts um and no matter what like you weren't going to be worse than fifth like most times you were going to be on the podium and like your good days you were winning so Whereas Shayna was like, you know, like I knew you were going to be there. And then Shayna, it was like on the day Shayna was fast, like she wasn't going to be beat. Like she would just pull some rabbit out of the hat and like, just like do some things that like you didn't think like this hundred pound, like girl, you know, could do. And that's like the funny thing too. Like people hate getting beat by Shayna. Cause like, she's like quote unquote a girl, but like, when she's on, it's like, dude, she'll beat anybody like in the world. Like, you know, um, like that, that year at Springfield mile, when she like rode that Kawasaki twin, like, dude, I think like that day she could have been went as fast or faster than anybody. So like, um, it was just, it's just different. Like I would say racing you, like you knew what you were going to get, you were going to be there every single time and it was going to be hard to beat you. And, and like, and yeah, and with her, it was like if she was gonna hit that next gear, like it was like, uh, yeah, she was she was not gonna be beat. Where 
you know, maybe like in my head, like I kind of thought there was a chance of, of beating you or like maybe scrapping with you a little bit more, but, um, both are fun. They're both, both obviously different, different animals, but, um, yeah, I had, I probably had the most fun racing with you, uh, just cause we were good buddies and, and like never, like I was saying about the thing, like with Brandon back in the day, how we kind of like we we beefed for like, you know, a couple of small part of the season, like with us, it was like, you know, even like that last day at Sacramento, when you won the championship, like I was, I was just as happy for you. And like, so that part of it was cool. And you, I mean, it was easy because you made it that way too. Like a lot of other competitors, like it's hard to like, kind of like, be upset with somebody that's just like always there for you or always so nice so it was like like god damn like i can't i can't be mad at Corey for anything like he's he's stoked so it was uh yeah that was that season honestly too was like one of my favorites yeah i appreciate that yeah that that was fun i remember uh after the finish when i crashed you pulled up and you're like and then <laughs> like you checked on me and then we come back and you're we're getting ready to go on the podium. You're like, dude, did that hurt? I'm like, fuck yeah, it hurt. I crashed at 100 mile an hour. It hurt. So, yeah. <laughs> so some me of the and Corey just got done. We just got done like battling for 20 laps at Sacramento, and we come across the line for like basically a photo finish, and it was like a notch groove, and we like get off in there, and I like push him wide off the groove. And I like go to look over and like give him a thumbs up and like <laughs> you're in the air fence like underneath and I'm like oh shit like turn around go back and I'm like and like dude you were like it was like actually like kind of a gnarly crash like you literally like slammed into the fence and I was like yeah dude I'm like are you okay did that hurt and you're like yeah dude what do you think it was like a hundred mile an hour crash <laughs> I'm just built different baby uh no it was uh <laughs> And that's, it's underrated too. Like that was one of the best weekends I ever felt on that twin. I mean, I felt good that, <clears throat> that weekend. I mean, my times were, I want to say I was fast qualifying overall at certain times throughout the weekend. And that second day, like the first day I, I, I felt good. I pulled away, but the second day, dude, you, you gave me everything. And I felt very, very fucking good that day. And dude, you were you were right there and you've had some really good runs at SAC, to be honest. I, I heard it's not on the schedule for next year. So that's kind of a bummer, dude. I was kind of hoping for, uh, for SAC, but if you could, uh, if you could, I have a couple more questions for you and we'll let you go, but if you could put another, uh, a race back on the schedule for next year, what would it be? Um, man, I don't know. That's a tough one. I would like to see more cushions just because like, the nature of our series right now unfortunately i think we go to a lot of tracks that are one lined um and i mean cushions you know obviously there's clay tracks that can be multiple lines um a lot of times they're not prepped that way but i would just like to see more cushions because i think it's easier better racing um way better, better. Fans. yeah it's crazy yeah, we so don't have more, that would dude. be nice. i don't know why we've got away from that it seems like and they're always good facilities, I think. Like horse horse facilities are usually, you know, pretty pretty decent, yeah, pretty nice. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I guess I might bow out on that answer. I honestly don't know. I'd have to think about it. I guess OKC. If I'm gonna just be generic, like that was a that was a fun one. It was grueling, like, but it was always good racing, and there was always 
always a lot of fans there i thought yeah they um, were great with fans yeah, i always thought i would say that one uh if i could put one back on the schedule would probably be okc so i wanted to bring up to um you know it's just transparency on the pod but a lot of people they they give you shit for kind of like who you are off the track like you like to have fun you go out and I think it's awesome that you show your personality. Like I mentioned it on the podcast a lot. I mean, I think, I think we need more racers who they're, they show their personality 24 seven. And for whatever reason in flat track, it gets frowned upon and people, they, they want to, I don't know. They want to be judgmental on, on that. It's like, why is he doing that? Why is he doing this? It's like, well, who are you to kind of, kind of say what what he does or what he's doing and they 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 put these false narratives that um within you like with your racing and and who you are as a person and i'm always like dude chad is like the nicest guy he's one of my best friends um he's awesome so people are like really i'm like yeah dude he's he's awesome he's super super nice guy great heart um and we had those comments from uh it was uh chris carr on his podcast he he was really judgmental toward you uh, on his podcast a couple years ago. And what, what would you say to those people kind of who, who judge, who judge you on, on what you do on are more so off the track? I mean, does it bother you? And what would you say to those people? Um, so does it bother me? Like I, I'm somebody like, I really don't care at all. Like somebody's opinion of me as as long as like i don't like feeling like people think like i'm a bad person like if you're like if you're like quote unquote a hater or you're like talking crap and it like has no like rationality like i i could care less like talk all you want but i yeah so it's i don't know it's a double-edged sword because like um yeah a lot of people that like know me personally know that like a lot of like the image or what gets put out there is like it's yeah i'm the best way I can explain it is like, I'm a complex person. Like I'm multiple, like I can go out and have a really good time. And like, whether that's frowned upon or not, like, I don't really like, I'm, it doesn't bother me. Like that's who I am and I'm not going to change. And like, I think with anything, it's like people want to point the finger or like, they'll, they'll kind of like, um, you know, get upset at you for it until the point that, cause it's almost like people think they can change you. Like if they like, if they bash you enough, it's like, it's almost like a way of like, Hey, like we're going to hopefully he'll change or hopefully he'll do things differently and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, if you're yourself long enough, they're finally like, Oh, I guess, you know, and then they kind of just like back off. And I feel like that's sort of how it's been for me at least. Um, and two, it's another thing is I just think it's, it's hilarious. Is like when things are going good, it's like, it's, it's cool. Like, Oh, like, Oh, it's cool. Like, but when things are going bad, it's like, you know, slap on the wrist, like, well, you shouldn't have done that type of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's something that I've been dealing with or whatever. As as I've gotten older, um, you know, you, you become, like, more secure with yourself. And the outside opinions, like, really don't matter. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think just people get, like, their judgment of me is, like, totally off base. Like, even, you know... Uh, yeah, like, I think I'm a lot more intellectual than a lot of people think. A lot of people think, like, I'm just, like, this, like, laid-back kind of dumb California kid type of thing when <laughs> that's not the case. And, like, 
I think a lot of people think, um, you know, cause when I go, when I have fun or go out, like, you know, that's part of my life. Like I like to, I like to kind of showcase that. And like, I think they take that and they're like, Oh, that's 90% of what he does. And it's like, well, I can assure you, like, it's not because if that was the case, like, you know, it would be very, very, very hard to like still maintain like a professional racing career or put in the results and, and stuff like that. So I know I kind of just talked in circles, but yeah, I don't, no, nah, it's good. It's good. I don't info. take much, I don't take much, um, you know, of what people think as long as I, you know, stay true to myself and, and, you know, the people, you know, like my family and everything, like, that's the crazy thing is like the people closest to me, like, you know, they're, they're cheering me on. They're, they're, you know, we love who you are. Don't change everything like that. So as long as those people are, you know, and same thing with you. I mean, hell, you were like my team manager this year and, it, and, you know, you always, you know, Hey, be yourself, but, you know, also make sure you're, you know, making sure you get everything done and yada, yada, yada. So yeah, it's uh image is one thing and yeah, I don't know. We could go. I think it's important to, uh, to, to grow the sport, man. I mean, I think, I think flat track is, is just awful with, I think the riders need to do a better job showing their personalities. I mean, a lot of these top riders, you don't hear from them. You don't see anything they post. Um, you don't know their personality at all. It's like, even if you're liked or disliked, I mean, I'll, I'll bring up like Sammy Halbert and Henry Wiles, where they have a lot of fans, but they also have a lot of people who don't like them. And, and also I can say myself, it's just because, and, <laughs> right. and you, it's just, dude, we, you, we show personality. You can't be afraid of pissing people off, but what, what we're doing, those riders is they're growing the sport. So, you know, when Sammy 100%. was winning and nobody, you know, a lot of people didn't like Sammy, they would comment and say, say shit about him. Um, I think the more personality we show it's, it's good for the sport in general. Um, it's good to grow it. Like the fans tune in to watch personality. Like the racing is one thing, but for them to really get drawn in to, to the sport is uh, it's like a reality TV show, so to speak. Like we tune in to, to that personality, whether we like them or we don't like them. Uh, we, we want to see what, what's going to happen. We want to watch the, the uh, everything kind of unfold. So I think what you do is, is key in, uh, in growing the sport. I wish more riders, kind of did it but uh yeah we could talk about that forever but i did want to bring it up um but dude yeah, I think what... partially too like the series and not you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna start bashing uh the series or anything like that but i think they do a little bit of a disservice and then the team owners too like i think that they cap you know like what the riders are allowed or not allowed to do to show their personality so like it's not all on the riders i think you know, some riders are more reserved, but there's a lot of colorful personalities that I think would would flourish and grow the sport and grow their following and, and have more people, you know, intrigued of what's going on if we were allowed. Because honestly, like, that's the thing. It's like we're not really, quote unquote, allowed to, like, express ourselves. We're not allowed to do certain things. Yeah. And, like, um, and really, that's kind of just like that's like a it's it's like it's an old style of thinking because like there's a lot of other sports or other you know whether it's uh stick and ball or like motorsports where like they they thrive off of like bringing in new audiences and like having that you know that edge to them to where they can 
you know like if you watch like that real quick just like that that tennis documentary on netflix that they just came out with point like they highlight like uh nick curios who's like this like crazy colorful personality who like doesn't do anything by the norm but like and then you have like no novak djokovic who's like you know world champion does everything blah 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 the correct way but like the ratings that for like this guy and like how much he's grown since this is like skyrocketed because like it's it's like personable to people like there's a there's one thing like on the track like everybody you know you go out and do your thing on the track and it's like okay there's a certain level of respect that you like you have to have because of you know what you can do on the track but like then off the track there's that's a whole nother thing and it's like i don't think we should like dumb down what we can bring to the sport just through personality alone it's kind of like you can relate like a lot of times in your career like if you didn't have the results you had to somehow go out and market yourself you know and like with that you learned so much and now you're in a position of like working for a series and, and things like that with moto america and it's like had you not had those like points in your life where like you absolutely had to go out and market yourself whether you know if it was just strictly results based like you would have never had these opportunities and now you wouldn't know how to like help that next generation grow like with whether it's with crews or with you know other guys like evan that you help out it's like because of that knowledge now like you can put that back into them and like i think it just like all comes full circle so like i guess i just wish that they would allow us to like they would be more accepting of like, you know, cause a lot of the stuff we do, it's not detrimental to anybody. It's just fun. And it's like, it's personality and people want to see it. So I just wish that they would allow that more. And I think it would, it would help them and us and it would grow the sport. Yeah, I agree. And I, I remember during like COVID when uh, everybody was supposed to be quarantined or whatever. And we had a video of uh, I think Bronson, like, he like shotgunned a beer and like spit it all over Jared Vanderkoy. And I remember Michael Locke was losing it. He was like, take that down, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I've had a couple instances where they, you know, they've tried to ask me to not, not post or take it down. I'm like, fuck off, dude. I was like, I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not an employee of the series. I'm my own, I'm my own person. And- yeah. And it's like, it's, it's kind of like, it's like, for what? Like, I don't understand, you know, because again, like, you look at other professional sports and, and things like that. And it's like, it's like, what's it really hurting? You know, like, I mean, as long as you, you know, you're not, you're not out there promoting alcohol or, or driving drunk or, you know, things like that. It's like, but you know, if a guy wants to let loose and, you know, have a drink or like, or, you know, or again, like that, it draws the fans in like, okay, Hey, they're doing stuff outside of racing. Like it's cool to kind of see you know if like if we hadn't like i think moto america does that like insider or whatever it is like beyond you know beyond the track what well, i don't even know what it's called but yeah it's the cool super bike documentary yeah. yeah so like it's so cool and i think that like having that like if people knew like you know like what who hung out like if you know you guys were at briar and shana's house or you know like i'm you know, down in Florida doing whatever I do and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I think a lot of people would be super intrigued to see what goes on. Like who hangs out with who, like who doesn't like who, 
all of that stuff, it just would add to everything. And, and it makes like the racing that much better because then it's like, okay, like, you know, when they're on the track, are they going to, is something going to happen? Cause they don't like each other or, yeah, or, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like all that. Let's do a couple of fun questions and I'll let you go. Um, what's your drink of choice, man? When you go out, what are you, uh, I know you're not a beer guy. You, you mix drinks, but what's your, what's your first drink you're getting on a Friday night? Whatever's put in front of me, baby. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> shots or uh, you, shots or mixed drinks yeah, or what? You, everything. Uh, I mean, if the first one that gets put in front of me, I'll do like a mixed drink. I'll do like a Tito's and uh, soda or like a, I don't know, Moscow Mule. But then, yeah. Ooh, I after, like Moscow's. After a drink or two, it's usually it's usually shots, and that's when things get a little bit wild. That's the other side of the chad coast train that we'll have to talk about another time what is uh what's the florida vibe like man i mean you're from cali you spend time in pennsylvania you spend time in new york what uh what why do you like florida so much i mean i i fucking love florida i it's it's the freedom state baby it's just the vibes are so high i i love i love it personally but what's what's your like you went down there and you you haven't left you've been there for a few years now so yeah, like, like I say to everybody, what's the not to like, you know? Um, You're like the mayor of yeah, the town. It, <laughs> yeah, New Smyrna. Seriously. Um, it's cool because it was like a time in my life where like I, it was a transition and it all just worked out. Like I, I felt like, because I, I, I always lived at home or I was like, you know, through racing, I would like stay with like, my friends or like I would stay with you and, and yada 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 so like I basically just decided like hey it's time like I'm gonna I'm gonna you know I ended up so what happened was during during COVID uh, we had our first race in Florida and it didn't it didn't happen and so I ended up staying in Florida for like an extended period of time because like things were still open I could still ride I could still you know go to the beach I could still go get food whatever the case was and um I ended up just kind of falling in love with it and I yeah I stayed and I just I don't know it's the whole thing it's like I would say here's like more of a home than like home like I have more friends here I have more resources here like it's uh it all kind of just worked out the vibes are always high in Florida um the weather's good year round um yeah it's just man it's I love it. I'm coming down in uh, two weeks. It was just weeks. the right time. More than anything, it's the right time. I mean, like, I, I needed it for myself to, to figure out myself and grow and then kind of just, like, start a life outside of, like, you know, my immediate family, like, uh, you know, living at home and everything like that. So it's I've been here for almost four years now, which is crazy. It seems like it's only been, like, I know. a year. But, yeah, almost, almost four years, man. <clears throat> yeah, I'll be down in a couple weeks. We got the uh... – the Pax pit bike race, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ready. I, I've been training hard for it. I've been, uh, back on my bicycle. I, I want to, I want a shot at it. <laughs> That's probably the most fun, fun race I have all year is, uh, is that Pax pit bike race. So except for when Amber yeah, like, broke her ankle last year, that was not good, but <laughs> that, was, that was, that was a good crash. She took it well big. though. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that was the third time I realized I wasn't a beer drinker. We did a. I fucking know, like dude. It. You let me down. I thought. I, I thought everyone to thought you were like, gonna oh, come man. through, but. Yep. Yeah, no. I was. I was thinking so too, and 
I struggled with the whole drinking beer thing, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll train and we'll, we'll make sure we're, uh, we're better this in year. two weeks, yeah. man. It's in two weeks. So you better. So we'll be Oktoberfest. I'm coming down October, like October 16th, to October 17th oh. to, uh, early November. And then I'll be back down and end of December. So yeah, the 19th to the 22nd by Oktoberfest. So we're going to have to hop on the hogs and, uh, and Let's see do what, uh, what is all about. I don't think I'm bringing any dirt bike. I don't think, I mean, I'm going to bring my, <clears throat> my pit bike, of course, but I think we're just going to vacation. Like we're just going to kind of hang out. I think, uh, Evan and Trent are coming. Uh, my buddy Ryan Connolly's coming down. So yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of hanging out. I remember, remember well, I texted I you on the, huh? I just got a comment on my Instagram from Pat Maroney himself. He said he's throwing the boat on the trailer and driving it down for Biketoberfest. So yeah, I texted him. I told him that's what we need to do. Yeah. How about Pat, man? He gets, he, we go out, he, we go out on the boat, we go get dinner and he gets, he's so hammered. He, he like wants me to drive the boat. I'm like, bro, I, I don't drive boats. I have no, I no clue what I'm doing. And then it like the sun's going down and, you know, I'm just like, all right, yeah, yeah. Like I'm sure boats have lights. Right. And no, there's no fucking lights on boats. So I had a couple of drinks. Like he wants me, like, I'm not drunk, but I, you know, I had a couple of drinks and he's stumbling, walking to the boat. He wants me to drive his boat. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> so, so I ended up, I ended up driving the boat like at nighttime back to, back to where he's at. That guy is, He's fun. He's Dude, a lot it's of fun. so funny. So I've heard, I've obviously like Pat's been around the motorcycle flat track world forever. And I've heard so many funny stories about him. And, uh, and I've never really like, I've never like kind of met him or anything. Um, and that was the first time. And it was funny too. Cause it was like, we had this like unspoken bond. Cause I like, I was like, yeah, Pat, man, he's, he's cool. He's one of the, he's one of the OGs that like would send it and you know, all the stories I've heard. And then it was kind of like, he was always like, yeah, like, you know, uh, I want to hang out with Chad and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, so we had like this unspoken bond and like the first time I met him, like he did not disappoint. It was kind of like exactly how I expected (laughs) him to be. And we had so much fun. Um, but yeah, it was was funny because on the way back, uh, everything like you said you know we had a couple drinks and us and it was getting dark and like i was like ner- i i started getting nervous like i was, I was like, nervous oh, like, <laughs> yeah and then and then so the funniest part of it all was we and then uh yeah cruise cruise ended up hopping on the boat with us after we ate you know because we thought there was plenty of daylight left and everything and uh and we we're like oh man so, so funny story we let cruise drive and he we were uh it was it was hilarious like we couldn't see anything and cruise is like just driving the boat and it was uh it was pretty pretty calm i have this uh arrogant side of me where i just feel like i'll figure it out whether it's i don't care what it is i'm gonna figure it out um i'm gonna talk my way into the fucking white house if needed you know somebody gives me a job as a I don't even know, dude, uh, an engineer. I don't know shit about it, but I'm going to figure it out. You know, <laughs> like it's just having 100%. the confidence to wing it. And then when we're together, it's like, 
we'll we're all right we'll figure it out like yeah we'll do that so it's it's just the, Dude, the that's, arrogance that's a superpower honestly like that is one thing like even going back to like what we were talking about earlier is like there is a level of people who are like that like we'll, we will figure it out that like that's it's good to have and then when you get around somebody else like that no matter what situation you're in you're like fuck yeah like we're gonna no matter what no matter what happens no matter what it takes like we're gonna we're well gonna how about pat when we got to his house he, as soon as we get there he's like hey guys i need your help with something i'm like all right so we literally walk right out to his boat deck it's off the it's off the intercoastal and uh flagler beach and he he like broke his dock like it like came apart or something his wooden dock oh, and he's like yeah this is either gonna go really good or really bad he's like but we'll have a good story to tell and basically he wanted he wanted to tie a rope around the dock and then on the back of the boat just pin the throttle on the boat the op the opposite direction of the of the dock and like bend the dock back, back in place <laughs> and i'm like um you know, he has no idea, dude, he has no idea what we're doing. And I'm like, me and you were just like, all right, yeah, sure. Let's, let's do it. So we're, we're yeah, standing granted, on this We dock. know nothing about boats. No, we know dude. nothing. Like there's a lot of things that we can do. And there's, there's a few things that we have no business doing. Like, dude, if we had to, if we had to fucking hang a TV together, we would, it would take us <laughs> seven hours, you know, like, so we yeah. get there and, and Pat's like, yeah, we're just going to like, we're going to straighten this out with the boat. And I'm like, looking, he wanted me and you to help. Boat. I'm like, we're not this the guys, pretty nice boat, man. And like <laughs> yeah. your, your foreman is, is Corey texture and Chad goes <laughs> like either this boat's going to be sunk or your dog's going to be gone. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I, a lot of people, I'm, I'm just not that guy for that. Um, yeah. You want me to hang a TV, <laughs> your fucking walls coming down. I mean, there's, um, we'll make it happen. I, I remember trying to shove, four bikes in your uh in your van uh and you just were totally confident we were going to make it work dude it, there were some tough times like i remember the one year at springfield me and you we had no money for a hotel and we literally oh, we, slept we slept on the park benches in the at the campground we we knew nobody um nobody like we weren't yeah we had nothing we had not enough money for a hotel the van was packed with all of our motorcycles the inside of the van was packed with all of our gear bags. Um, we were honestly walking around the crown plaza trying to find like an empty conference room to sleep in. And then we ended up sleeping, uh, outside on the park benches at, um, at the campground. So yeah, it's, uh, people like to see the end result, but they don't, they miss out on a lot of that journey. And, and you actually rode with Shana when she won her first race in Knoxville, she was in, you know, you took her out there in your van. I think it was because, yeah she didn't have a vehicle. And then after that Knoxville race, it's not like she got a paycheck right there at the track, happy Gilmore style. They gave her a big check to cash, but she, she, it's not like, and I think you guys slept in the van after that race she where she, slept, she, she got done winning the, the national, her first national ever. And we slept front seats of the van, like not even laying like the, the so much stuff packed. Like we couldn't even recline the front seats. It was like, head against the window type of thing and yeah it was it was like that's what i mean man we have so many of those stories that like it's like it's crazy what what like the whole how it was all you know how that all happened back then um yeah and then yeah like that trip we took dude it wasn't just four bikes it was like 
we had a Harley, we had an XR750, like we took the exhaust pipes off. I mean, like you couldn't open the doors, the rear doors of my van without stuff falling out. And like, and you like drew a diagram of everything. Like, all right, this is going to go here. This is going to go here. It's like the only possible scenario, everything would have fit. And then like, not to mention, I probably had $400 in my bank account to like go across country and somehow like, I don't know. How Remember we were almost running out of gas, like through the salt flats and we were like turning the air conditioner off, trying to coast down whatever hill we could find. It's like, bro, we're not going to make it to the fucking gas station. We had no, no money for gas. And then I remember the one, the one trip we unloaded your 450. It had like the yellow and black graphics. We unloaded it on the salt flats and you went crazy on the salt flats and uh, you crashed too. But then we picked the bike back up and we, we drove to your house in Fremont and we didn't like unload it. We should have rinsed it off right away. Nope. We didn't rinse it off. Yeah. And your dad was fucking <laughs> mad. He was, he was so mad. Cause we pulled, it was like your GNC bike. We pulled it out and it was like rusty. And we, like he was, he was bent out of shape. But I think like the next week was like the Salinas race at, uh, at the rodeo. And I think you got like eighth on that rusted out piece of shit that we yeah. took on the soft last. <laughs> Oh man. Oh, dude, the kind of stories we could tell are, is, is insane. I uh, still, I think my favorite, one of my all time favorite days to this day, dude, of like my life was the Harley shop in Lancaster was having that event, whatever, whatever the hell that event was. Like and, a bike show or something. We, yeah. Bike it was like show. nine in the morning. Yeah. It's like nine in the morning. Like yeah. I wish, I wish my life was like that now where I, we just got up at, we got up at like seven in the morning and we were just like, all right, well let's drink beers. So we just, we just started drinking. <laughs> Went to yeah, the bike and show. Then we had like this little, this, yeah, we had a couple, couple beers and uh, went to that bike show, had a blast, like just walking around, like laughing at everything. Uh, then we go and rip pit bikes you know, one tens in the church parking lot behind your house. And like, dude, when I tell you the speed that we had going, it was like next level. And anybody that knows Corey with like a couple of drinks in them in a basement on a one ten or like anything on a one ten, it's like it's insane. It's like Mark Marquez. And <laughs> and dude, we were ripping around that parking lot and like I don't know, I think you like caught your foot peg, dude. And when I no helmet, of course. No helmet. Yeah, we were. You, yeah, we weren't when too bright. I saw you side. I was like, oh, and like, dude, the tuck and roll. Like, it was like you just like it was the perfect tuck and roll. But like, you could have gotten so messed up, and like, you just hopped up. And like, I want to believe it was like the, the liquid flowing through the veins at the time <laughs> that like you were just all limber and loose, and like, we're like, all right, I think uh, I think we, we we're done for the day. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We were, we were pretty stupid, man, but thankfully, yeah, I look back, I'm like, damn, dude, I'm thankful I made it this far. Cause I did some dumb shit, dude. And people think I'm a square. I mean, just cause I, dude, I work hard. Like I do, I, I, you know, I work, I do a lot of shit and people are, they're like, Oh, they, you know, Oh, he does this. Oh, he's fun. It's like, fuck, fuck yeah. I'm fun. Like I, it's not yeah. like I'm a, you know what I mean? Like we, we go back, man. And I still yeah, like to have I fun. I gotta remind all the kids every year at the house in Florida when you're, <clears throat> when everybody's training and talking smack, you're like, we're always like, dude, you guys have no idea. Like <laughs> you, you, we don't want to take you back to that time, but Hey, we have to show you once or twice. Like, come on. 
Yeah, I love it, dude. I I love to uh, like before a serious bike ride. I like to grab a um like a beer out of the out of the fridge and just chug it and be like, "You guys are fucked today." <laughs> like I just just gotta let them know, man. But yeah. Um. Well, kind of last question I have for you. What is uh? What's your game plan for the future, dude? Obviously. We don't have a schedule for next year. I, I guess guess we're gonna go racing. I guess the series is gonna have uh have some races. To be fair though, it's it's still it's still early October. So typically we usually um we usually finish the season like middle of October. But what's your plan for next year? A- any desire to move back to the twins class before you're done? How many years do you want to raise? What's the what's the game plan? Well, my immediate future, I'm still waiting for uh, Swift to respond, and we're I'm going to discuss some, you know, partnership opportunities there. Um, <laughs> that was and good. See where that takes me. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't, she's. Do you one, think man. she's cute? Do you I, think Taylor Swift's good looking? I mean, she's. That's a tough question. I, she's like, just rich. It's, no, it's not. She's just rich. Yeah. She's not. It's just the. It's a, she's an icon, so it's like. Dude, you'd lay in the Oprah if she asked you. Ah, uh, no, maybe not that one. But come on, um, you fucking liar, nah, dude. Probably not. Oprah? <laughs> oh, here we go. She's a billionaire. One of There's no chance. Oprah hits you up for dinner. You're you're telling me you're telling her no. Oh, I'm like, going to dinner. No, sure. but you know what dinner means. Like you know, she wants dinner and she wants some dessert. You're telling me that you're saying no. <laughs> No, I don't know, man. Oprah, You're not saying no. <laughs> Shut up, dude. You're in there. Uh, I would, I would do with Taylor Swift, but not Oprah. Yeah, I think, I think Taylor Maybe, I Swift is very average as far as that goes. But she's, she's got what, like eight hundred million followers. But anyway, yeah, that was funny. But yeah, what's your, what's your game plan? What's your, uh, for like one year, three year game plan? Like, how long uh, are you gonna race for? I guess it all just, it's all, it's all relative. Like I've, this is the last, I would say last year and, and, you know, now it's really the first time in my life that I've started thinking like outside of racing, you know, like as a racer, you're so consumed with racing that like, it's all you think about, you know, and everybody's always like, well, what are you going to do after racing, after racing? You're like, what, after racing? Like, you know, I don't know. Like, but I'm going to race um, after racing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like not, not, uh, yeah. It's like, well, life after racing, like I'll, I'm going to be retired and old. Well now, now what I thought was retired and old is like, like you me still have your whole life. 36. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I do now. Yeah. So it's cool. Like I, I, I've always been such a competitor and I've loved racing. It's my passion and everything, but it's cool that uh, my mind has started to kind of transition to, um life outside of racing so like for the first time ever i've i've i'm getting excited about like other opportunities outside of racing like um you know i have intentions of like starting a business and stuff like that so i uh yeah as far as racing goes um i i'm pretty sure i'm doing i don't have a you know i haven't signed any contracts or anything but i think uh i'll be doing the same thing i did this year hopefully um but yeah that's a one-year plan and you know i don't know if it's going to be one more year or four more years or or whatever but 
Um, I kind of, at this point, I'm just going to take it one year at a time because for me too, I don't want to look too far ahead. I, I kind of want to just make sure I'm, I'm in the now. And I think I let, I left some stuff on the table this season. I mean, I don't think, you know, in my opinion, I didn't have a great season, but it wasn't horrendous. Um, but I'd like to improve upon what we have. And like the first year, kind of like the, the landscape of our team, everything was pretty new and everything. So, you know, I think if the opportunity presented itself and, and I was welcomed back, then I would, I would take it and kind of make it more of like, okay, let's see what we really have this year. And yeah, so I could see myself racing, you know, for four more years or, you know, it could be next year could be my last. So I don't know. I've, that's the first time I think I've ever even vocalized that actually. So I, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just excited that for the first time in my life, I, I do view things outside of racing as exciting. Cause that was something of, that I was kind of worried about a lot of times, like after an athlete, you know, retires, it's like, they have a big void to fill. And I always thought for me, like I was going to like sort of like be depressed, you know, like, Oh, like what else am I going to do? But it's exciting that, I've gotten to the point where my mind is actually excited for other things, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, racing's always going to be my passion. And I still, I, I personally think I still have a lot left. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give it everything I have and hopefully freaking beat some of these young kids. Cause they've been kicking my ass for like the last year, two years. So gotta, gotta show them the old guys could still throw down. Yeah, man, there ain't many of uh, many of that early two thousand era out there anymore. I mean, it was, it was cool to see Wiles come back in the mix and and do some races this year. We're not we're not like homies or anything, but it's it's uh, it's cool for him to him to be out there racing. Obviously, Jared's still out there, which who knows how long Meese is going to keep racing. I thought he would race like ten more years, but from what I'm hearing, he might only look at a couple more years if that. And um, Dan, there's just not many left. Like after after you and B Rob, everybody else is kind of, kind of fresh. So it's, I mean, even looking at guys like Davis Fisher, like he's been, he's been at this a long time um, now where I remember it wasn't too long ago. He was like the rookie. Um, it, it's crazy how fast time, time moves, moves by. And, you know, the era of cool Beth, Jake Johnson, Brian Smith, you know, it's just, it's moved on. And, I don't think we appreciate it at in the moment, those riders where, you know, even guys, I don't, I'm not big fans of, uh, I still appreciate them being out there. And, you know, when, when yeah. you be Rob and Meese, everybody kind of steps aside, that's, that's kind of the end of my era. I mean, Pearson, he didn't race at all this year. He kind of quietly went off and Jake Johnson, he quietly kind of went off and, yeah, it's just uh, it's kind of crazy, man. Uh, end of a end of an era here in the next couple of years for sure. Yeah, it is wild how fast it all happens. I think the the first time I realized it was like when you know <clears throat> for the longest time because Jake Jake Johnson he had a lot of success like early on in his career. So like he was like the young gun for for it seemed like for such a long time. And then it was like, boom, in the blink of an eye, he was like the veteran, like he was like the old guy. And then, yeah, Jake kind of, he was never like super flashy. So like, even in his like 
I guess, retirement. You know, like he like Tim Duncan kinda, just retired. <laughs> yeah, like he kind of just like didn't race and then like came back for a couple. And it was like, yeah, people forget like just how like, you know, I don't want to say they forget how good he was. But yeah, like everybody is so in the here and now that like it's crazy that um, yeah, that was the first experience for me was like how fast I realized it would go was like Jake was a young guy for so long and then all of a sudden he wasn't and then yeah now for me like mentally I don't feel like I'm like the old guy and then I look around like in my class I'm it's like I'm actually like a lot older than everybody Dude, we're so built, we're built it, different man I mean you put us up on that <laughs> athletic pedestal it's like it's like fuck dude that is that is that's like the dad life bod right there man and we just gotta let them know I mean even these young kids that uh I mean, Cody Cop and Trent, these kids that are winning races, they ain't shit, dude. I mean, yeah, they they tried their <laughs> hand, dude. They they tried to beat us in basketball and here and this and that. And, you know, they got their TikToks and their little cocky attitudes. But when it comes down to it, dude, if they want to run it, any sport, anytime, you know, we got them. No yeah. problem. Yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I, I might come out of retirement just I to I think I'm owed a couple bucks from any from some some of those pickup games. So <laughs> it's off season. We got a long off season. I might be it might be time to collect. Yeah, I thought about coming out of retirement just to just to whoop Cody. I mean, I figured if Cody's winning the championship, it can't be that hard. I mean, I, I went I won one and oh against Cody this year at Dairyland. I I I beat him and I don't even think he was in the main event. I think he, I don't think he even won the B main. So figured if Cody's winning, it can't be that hard. So, um, you didn't want to show him all your cards this year. That was what we were holding back on. And yeah, we're honestly, I'm in it for the long game. I haven't got to this point by being, by putting it out there too quick. So I figured by the time it's my last, my last hurrah, my last season, I'm going to lay it all out there and, and just go out on top like you did. Yeah, exactly, man. You want to, I don't know if that's a good thing though. Cause then you almost feel like you need to keep racing. So it's, uh, it's one of those things where you, you want to finish strong, but it's like, fuck, what if dude? Um, but yeah, it's a uh, life's an interesting, interesting journey, man. It's, uh, it's been cool having you part of my life and I appreciate you as a, as a friend. And I mean, here's to the next step for sure. And I agree. I, I I'd love to love to see you keep out of here for a few more years. I think uh, you proved this year with that dash for cash win. You had a top five at Sacramento. It was a learning year on the new bikes. I definitely think you guys will be uh, better next year. Um, and yeah, I always got your back. Whether I'm not, whether I'm officially with uh, with the team, which I'm not going to be with them next year, but I always have your back. I'm a phone call away and looking forward to seeing what you come up with here in the future. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to you getting down here and we can, you know, have a, have a good time and reminisce on all the on all the old times and stuff. But yeah, no, uh, racing's just a small little part of our whole of our whole deal relationship and everything. It's cool that we got to experience that. It's cool that like racing brings these friendships. Like I think that's the coolest part too. Is like had it not been for racing, like I would have never met these lifelong friends and never got the opportunity to move to Florida and all of this. So like amongst all of the stuff that happens and you know, how, how big of a struggle it is sometimes the highs and lows, it's like at the end of the day, you still have to like have that appreciation that like what it, the impact that it's had on your life. And that's, that's, yeah, we need to, uh, we need to put together another, 
580 bicycle trip when we uh we rode bicycles from jacksonville to key west that was the most painful thing i've done but golly there were so many memories on that trip man it was it was uh truly underrated how much fun that trip was i mean it was hell but it was such an amazing journey man we've joked about it but we definitely have to do like an after hours podcast because like it's it's cool the racing and everything but we got to talk about some of like our our memories like with no we might have to get chambers on and 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 just kind of like go back down memory lane because it's just we could talk for maybe we'll do a maybe in the next week or so we'll do an after hours podcast for like i started um a patreon page where you can subscribe to different podcasts and and stuff like that maybe we'll do a patreon after hours podcast with you and noah and yeah, I like that. Let me text Noah. That and, one would uh, get some hit. That one would definitely get some hit. I think we'd get some some subscribers for sure. But all right, man. Well, that's uh I appreciate your patience. This was a, a really good pod, two hours of chatting. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks, dude. Obviously, I, like I said, this is interviewing your friend is weird. I'll probably talk to you later today. But, but uh thanks for thanks for coming on, man. I, I appreciate it for sure. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'll uh I'll be in touch and I'll see you soon. All right, homie. Talk to you soon. All right. See you, man. Bye. All right. Chad Coase, man. That was an amazing episode. He's one of my best friends. So it was definitely cool to have him on and talk about his career a little bit. We could have talked for probably four or five more hours easily, but I want to give a shout out to the rest of the sponsors that make this happen. Big, big, big shout out to Jerry Stinchfield, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, commercial industrial roofing company with nearly 40 years of experience. Check out Jerry's website at commercialroofsystems.net. Commercial Want to give a shout out to Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, 19-inch and 17-inch flat track, off-road, street, everything you need for your bike, your street bike, dirt bike, they have it all. Check out their website, dunlopmotorcycletires.com. Shout out to Yamaha Motorsports and Yamaha Racing. Check out their website at yamahamotorsports.com. I got a brand new 2024 50th anniversary YZ450 coming at me. Um if you can go on, go online and check out those 50th anniversary bikes. They got like the retro purple and man, they they're so sick. I had to get one. So I'm excited to get that here in a couple of weeks. And I want to give a shout out to Moto America for sponsoring our podcast, supporting what we're doing. I've been, they've been supporters of the podcast before I even worked with them. They're huge fans of what we're doing and we love Moto America. We love, I love following the series, following them on social media. They do a really, really honestly an unmatched job with what they're doing it's it's really special and you know no race is going on right now but they did release their 2024 schedule it'll kick off during bike week with the daytona 200 once again so put that on your calendar if you can't be there subscribe to their live plus package they do a really really good job with that live plus so that's a wrap guys again patreon subscribe to that we'll try to do an after hours podcast here in the next week with chad and noah we have three really cool limited edition stickers we're giving out for those who subscribe to the podcast on Patreon. Uh, the link and website you can find on our Instagram. I think it's on the bio. You can find it on Facebook um, or reach out to me. Just send me a message. Um, we're doing a lot of really cool things with Patreon. Our first Patreon episode is posted on there. It's everything to do with be, uh, social media and being a racer. So anything social media social media related growing your brand we we had that episode we had Kristen Lassen on who is the social media manager for American Flat Track and we go over a lot of really cool insight that 
amateurs, pros can take away from it. And also it's really interesting for the fans as well. Our next Patreon podcast, besides the after hours with Chad, we are going to do a a technical related podcast, probably wheels and tires. We're going to go over the different tires in flat track, different compounds, tire warmers, wheel widths. Uh, We're going to go over all that front wheel, rear wheel, uh, spoked wheel, uh, PM wheel. We're going to go over all that pros and cons and get some insight from some, from some people in that industry. So that's a wrap guys. Thanks for subscribing. Uh, follow us on, on uh, social media and much love until next time we out. <laughs>